Very good. Well, let's get to God's word. The rest of us, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 is where we will be uh, reading. If you have your Bibles, turn in that. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. It'll be up on the screen for you to read along uh, with me as I read out loud. Hear God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. May the grass wither and the flower fade. But may the word of our God stand forever. Well, I want to talk to you this morning, and bear with me here for the introduction. The rest of the sermon will be simple, but the introduction, you have to follow with me. I want to talk to you this morning about the magic of Christmas. And and no, I didn't um, spend a little too much time drinking eggnog over the last couple days. Uh, I'm not about to play to you uh, Christmas shoes or uh, have us watch a Hallmark movie, but I am serious about wanting to talk about the magic and the wonder of Christmas. G.K. Chesterton, I've been reading a book uh, about him or about his writings on Christmas, and he said this. He writes about how children still know the wonder and the enchantment of Christmas. You can see it. Even one of our pictures from our social media last week, it showed my, one of my own sons sitting, uh, standing at, looking at the flame in the middle of our, our, our Christmas Eve service, looking at his candle, kind of basking the glow and the light of the room. There is a wonder that children have. But Chesterton writes this, children understand that there is never anything in the least frivolous about their attitude to a plum pudding or a turkey. I don't know what, we don't care about plum pudding or turkey, but let's say, um, I don't know, uh, sour gummy bears and other things like that. There's nothing frivolous, so less is there anything frivolous in their attitude to a stocking or to a Christmas tree. They have the serious and even solemn scent of this great truth, that Christmas is a time when things happen. Things that do not always happen. To be enchanted or to experience wonder means you are experiencing great delight in something. Enchantment is often associated with magic. And we think of magic as either something, you know, an illusionist, a magician does, you know, with a sleight of hand. Or magic is something that you see in a Disney movie. But magic is more simply and more broadly could be understood as that which is outside the supernatural or outside of the natural. That the magic has a supernatural quality about it. It's something that is outside the natural world that is broken into our natural world. Now again, bear with me. We'll get to the simplicity in just a second. 
But in his seminal work, A Secular Age, philosopher Charles Taylor observes that one of the defining characteristics of modernism before is, was that before modernism took hold in this world, that most people in the world had a sense that our world was enchanted. In other words, that there was beings and there was the gods who were moving in and breaking into this natural world and having an effect. And therefore, the way he put it was the world in their mind was porous. I think that one of the best ways to think about the world being porous is from Harry Potter. Right, in Harry Potter, we have this wizarding world that is running parallel to the natural, the regular world, and there's these portals in which and out of which the wizards can come and go. And that is what he meant by this, that we lived in a world that was, yes, natural, but the supernatural, that the, the, they, they understand that the old myths, the Greek myths, that they understand that the gods broke into this world. But our modern world has lost a sense of wonder because we have shut down the belief that the supernatural can break in into the natural. Everything we see, everything we believe in has to be measured and has to be explained away. And therefore, this even affects our Christianity. Many Christians, while they proclaim that there is a God who is living and active, they actually functionally believe they're functional deists Envisioning the world as kind of an intricate machine of, of parts designed and established by God, but left to our own devices. And so we too, often, have lost the wonder. But this is what I'm going to bring it back to Christmas. Christmas begs to differ. Christmas proclaims that God is not distant or removed but intimately involved in his creation, so intimately involved that he broke into this world, came to live within this universe, and bring this universe under his power by the word of his power, as we see in Hebrews chapter 1. And so yes, as Chesterton says, Christmas is indeed a time when things happen, things that do not always happen, like God coming to live in this world. And so on this one and only Sunday of Christmas, or Christmastide as Joel called it, my desire is that you and I would discover, or perhaps rediscover, the wonder of Christmas, the magic of it. That Christmas would be, we could put it, re-enchanted again in our imaginations. And here's the question, how do you discover or rediscover the wonder of Christmas? Especially for us, you know, curmudgeoning adults, who are just kind of weary of all the stuff around our house, and we just want to throw everything away. Well, you, you have to learn it through the story of a child, of a little girl, and a little girl and the baby she has. The little girl I'm referring to you, of course, is Mary, and she is a little girl. In this story, she's probably 14 or 15 years of age. I have a daughter who's 14 years of age, and I still consider her to be my little girl. And so we turn to the story of Mary, whose story is enchanted, and in fact, what we find is her own responses to what happens to her is she is amazed and she experiences wonder. And so I ask us, our leading question is how do we discover or rediscover the wonder of Christmas? We learn it in the story of Mary and here's what we see, that if you're gonna rediscover the wonder of Christmas, you have to hear the unmerited favor of God. You have to hear the unmerited favor of God first and foremost. If we pick up in verse 28 and we see when the angel comes to her, what he immediately comes to her and says, what does he say? He came, greetings, and what does he say to her? Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled, it says, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel repeated it, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
Later on, if we were to continue reading in Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth, her, uh, an aunt of sorts to Mary, said that Mary has been blessed by God above all women. Mary is the object of God's favor upon her. Favor. What do we call favor? What the, the word we more often use there is grace. That she is, the, she is the object of God's favor, his grace. And so too are we, as God's people, objects of God's favor. You are his favorite. You are his favorite. You're the objects of his, fa- of his favor. And because of that, he gives and pours out upon you blessing upon blessing. Ephesians chapter 1 begins this way. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You're a favored people. And this is a wondrous thing, but it's a wondrous thing if only we wouldn't undercut the wonder of it by seeking to create our own reasons and explanations for why God would favor us. We destroy the grace of God by trying to give our explanations for why we should be the favored of God. And here you must see the awe that Mary has as she's receiving God's favor and this message for her. For she looks around and sees no reason that she would be the object of God's grace. There's been great efforts in Christian history to describe Mary as this perfect person, chaste and holy in every possible way and righteous. And that is the reason why she gets God's favor. But that actually would undercut the whole story and undercuts the whole narrative uh, that we see here in Luke chapter 1. Nowhere in the text does it say that there's anything special about Mary. Quite the opposite. She is profoundly ordinary. She's lowly. She's a young girl from a backwater, no-name town called Nazareth in a backwater country in Judea. Luke suddenly highlights that she has no familial merit. Her her background background or, or like her pedigree, she has no lineage. Whereas Joseph, Joseph's at least who? He's in the line of David. Elizabeth and Zechariah are in the line of Aaron. We don't even know who Mary's parents are. She's a no-name. The way Luke tells the story, the most significant thing about Mary is her insignificance. Yet she is the one who is given the honor of bearing the Son of God. Greetings, favored one, the angel says. She is not favored because she is perfect or because she is worthy. She's favored simply because God has placed it upon her. I have to explain this to my daughter in the same way. Night after night, I'll go into Chapel's room and I'll lay down with her and I'll say, Chapel, I love you so much. And she'll say, Daddy, why do you say that all the time? And I'll say, because I love you so much. And she'll say, but why do you love me so much? And I'll say, just because I love you. And she said, but why do you love me so much? And I said, just because I love you. And she says, will you always love me? I said, yes, of course I will always love you. Why will you always love me? Because I love you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you want to hear it from a more profound theologian than me, said it this way, Mary was not chosen because of any human merit, not even for being, for, for being as she undoubtedly was being lived about, nor even for her humility or any other virtue, but entirely and uniquely because it is God's gracious will to love, to choose, to make great what is lowly, un- unremarkable, and considered to be of little value. And yet the favor of God was placed upon her. It's as if she did nothing And she did nothing to make herself worthy of God coming to be with her. So we naturally think, our natural indication is to think we better act better 
and do better in order for God to come and make his home with us. But that is the exact opposite of the gospel story. You can only keep up appearances for so long. God knows the truth about us. But the true miracle of this story is this, that God comes and he makes his home among us in real flesh and blood. God comes in a manger with dirt and manure on the floor to an insignificant little girl from a no-name family in a nothing village. God doesn't choose one who bears great responsibility or power or piety or possessions, but he comes to one who is lowly in her gender, her age, her family of origin, her possessions. She ranks as the lowest of the low, and yet God says she is favored amongst all, and so are you. God chooses Mary, as it were, for no good reason, for no good reason, other than he simply places affection upon her. And the path to wonder at Christmas, the path to enchantment about Christmas has to begin here. It must begin with the realization that I have nothing from God because I earned it, but simply because he gave it to me. That there was no reason for it other than he did it. Brennan Manning puts it this way. Grace proclaims the awesome truth that all is gift. All that is good is ours, not by right, but by the sheer bounty of a gracious God. This is what Mary is so amazed about. In fact, what's amazing is, you know, everybody else in history, in the Bible, when an angel shows up, they're scared out of their mind because they're looking at an angel, and that's terrifying. And and, and yet Mary is not awed by the presence of an angel. She's awed by the fact that she's favored by God. So I ask you this morning, are you still awed by that fact? that God would place his favor and his affection upon you. The genesis of wonder is to know that you're deeply loved by God and you did nothing to deserve it. But nonetheless, you have it. Second, if you're gonna discover or rediscover the wonder of Christmas, then you must submit in faith. You must submit in faith to God's word over you. I want you to understand this is what that wonder at God's favor and enjoying the wonder of God's favor is only enjoyed when you embrace it by faith. You have to believe it. You see, our spiritual journey is a path to greater and greater enjoyment of those blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. But it is a journey and it is a process. What we see in Mary in this brief story is that she walks through in a condensed and compressed form in the text a process of faith into the life-changing experience of understanding the favor she has in God, or at least comprehending it in some small fraction. Now, I'm connecting faith and wonder here, but before we lose ourselves into an anti-intellectual Christianity, I want you to see that Mary wrestles and reasons her way to a place of faith and submission. In Luke chapter, verse 28 and 29, the angel says, Greetings of favor, one, the Lord is with you. And what's Mary's response? She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's troubled. She's confused. She's trying to wrap her mind around it. It is something she's struggling with. And so what does she do? She tries to discern. Literally in the Greek, the word there is dialogizomai. She's dialoguing. She's she's using Socratic methods and asking yourself questions and trying to bring answers to them, which literally means to reason thoroughly. That's the Greek word there. This is an inner dialogue of trying to understand the logic of the statement, the bizarreness that what? I'm the favored one? And then we see in the following verses that she asks questions. 
She takes her confusion and even her doubts, and she wrestles with them before the Lord. This is not an anti-intellectual Christianity. This is not a Christianity or a faith or a submission that is simply hocus-pocus pie in the sky. No, this is one that's thought out and reasoned with. What this means is she's sitting there saying, is this a hallucination or a dream? Is this real? Did I eat something? What's going on here? And this is not just a logical or intellectual dilemma, but understand this is an emotional one for Mary as well. She is confused. It's troubled, she says. Her soul is in upheaval over it. And so that's what she's wrestling through. She's embracing, she's trying to embrace news that she cannot quite understand. And to embrace this news is going to demand incredible courage by Mary. This is troubling to her. In the same way it is for us. Have you ever felt like asking God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Let me tell you, when you're a 14, 15-year-old virgin in the ancient Near East and someone tells you that you're going to be pregnant, that's a little bit confusing. You go, can I ask why? That would be unsettling. I'm going to lose everything that I've ever known in my life. And so it is that you and I have asked that same question. God, I don't understand this. I'm trying to wrap my head around this. But like all dilemmas of the soul, at some point, though, a choice has to be made. Mary must ultimately... Yes, she must wrestle. Yes, she can cry out to God. Yes, she can have her doubts and she can ask her questions. And yes, she can dialogue internally and think this out as best she can. But ultimately, Mary must submit and surrender herself to this news or not. And that is where we see her most famous lines. In verse 38, it says this, the end of our passage today. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, for you will conceive and bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus. And after hearing what she could not possibly understand, that she couldn't wrap her her mind around, Mary said, in the greatest declaration of faith, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That she put her foot down someplace. She made her choice. She submits to God's call on her life, even though, even though she cannot possibly wrap her mind around it. And that is true for all of us who have faith. Yes, we try to understand as best we can. Yes, we seek to reason it out. But at some point, we must make a choice to either submit to the good news of God's gospel or not. Even though we cannot fully grasp it or understand it. You know, her words inspire one of the great Beatles songs of all time, right? And it talks about, it's talking about life in the song, Let It Be. Paul McCartney wrote, when I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom. Let it be, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she stands right in front of me speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. And so it is that when you're in your hour of darkness and your hour of trouble, That yes, you seek to understand it. Yes, you wrestle with God. But at some point, you bow and you say, I surrender to your will. I do not understand it, but let it be. Let it be done to me as you see fit. And so perhaps the most fitting application to this is we see that a 15-year-old girl is the first believer in Jesus, the first one to have faith. And Mary becomes the most blessed of women because she surrendered her life to God's call and God's voice over her life. And so maybe the, mo- the, the most specific way, the people in the room who I would most want to apply this to is to teenage girls. Here's what I mean. Mary refuses to let other voices outside of her define her or tell her how to live her life. Now understand this. Mary 
in the face of what God, the call God has given her, she is going to get crushed socially, publicly, financially. She's going to lose everything. At least that would be her understanding as she first hears this call. She's going to be abandoned by her fiance, ostracized by her family, have nowhere to go. The boy she cares about will probably reject her. But she submits to God's word over her. When God says, greetings, favored one to Mary, she said, let it be unto me according to your word. And guess what? You can do this too. That when you walk in a world in which if you follow Jesus and you submit to his call, teenage girls, and there's demands upon you, and the world is screaming about who you are and what you should be, that ultimately you get to look at them in the face and go, no, I submit to the word of God over me. And that is a bevered word because he has told me that I am the favorite one of him. And if that applies to teenage girls, I think it also applies to 56-year-old men struggling with middle life and 29-year-old moms struggling with young parenting. That the word of God, it speaks over you and that's what matters. And you say, let it be. Third, if you're going to discover or rediscover the wonder of Christmas, then you must experience the presence of God with you. We're coming to a close. Verses 31 says this, and we've dropped down to verse 34 and 35. And behold, the angel said, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Verse 34, and the Mary, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. What is the angel saying to her? He's saying nothing less than that God will come and make his very home inside of you. His very presence will come down and be inside of you and be with you. Mary, the angel tells Mary that God will cause you to conceive a child, and that child will be the Son of God himself. It's laughable. The Holy Spirit comes upon Mary. This is an odd. It says he overshadows her. The Spirit is present with Mary in a powerful and life-creating way. And the child planted in the womb of Mary by God's power. That's what he says he does. Now, this is very odd to us, is it not? The Holy Spirit overshadows and creates life. There, there, but understand this. There, there, this is not some Greek mythology where there's some sort of physical, divine, human intercourse, some bizarre relationship going on here. Nevertheless, this does sound profoundly strange to us and perhaps even distressing in a way. But honestly, if you think about it, how pregnancy always happens, if you think about it, is rather distressing and very quite strange. That biological goat race of a bunch of seed to an egg that's what, how we usually get pregnancy. This is a lot cleaner and a lot smoother. He overshadows. I don't pretend to know how God did this, but I know that God has been doing this by his spirit from the very beginning of time. You see, how is the creation in Genesis chapter one described? The spirit hovered over the earth and it was formless and void and he created life. And so frankly, he's actually doing the very same thing he's been doing from the beginning of time. Nothing strange here. The supernatural breaking in to create the natural. The larger point this is this, is if you believe in a God who can create the heavens and the earth with his word, who can create man out of nothing, then why couldn't God by his spirit breathe life into the womb of a woman? And that's all it would take. 
Is this not the God, the Almighty? In fact, the angel Gabriel points it out because she's questioning and she goes, um, I don't understand. God, you're the one who created the normal biological process in which this happened. There's nothing of that happening here. So how is this happening? And what does the angel say to her? Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then God points out that her aunt, Elizabeth, who's been barren and who is aged, is having a baby. And a millennia earlier, God had promised the same thing to a 90-year-old woman, and she laughed about it, just like Mary had to be thinking, this is laughable. But God asked then, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And so virgin births are no problem for him. Nothing will be impossible with God. But the power of the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, will come and dwell inside Mary. Now, that should sound familiar if you know the rest of the New Testament. It should sound like Acts 2. You see, it was the power of God that brought life into Mary's womb such that the Son of God would indwell with her such, so in the same way so the Holy Spirit comes down and indwells with us, we see in Acts chapter 2. That Acts, in Acts 2, the Son of God, Spirit of Christ, comes to live inside of his disciples to indwell them. The overshadowing of the Spirit is present in creation. He's present at the incarnation, and he's present at Pentecost when God comes to live with us and be present in us. And when was the last time you laughed? at that because it is laughable that God lives inside of you the wonder of it all the wonder of it all do you wonder at that I close the story and just in, in a couple just kind of illustrations to try to give us back to like the wonder of this and we're just going to come to a screeching halt to close this morning but when was the last time you wondered at the fact that God has come to live inside of you Mary was stunned by it Mary would carry the, son, carry the Son of God and she would give birth and she would hold him in her arms, the presence of God with her. And so you and I, because that Son went and died on the cross, he removed the barrier between us and God Almighty so that now God can come and indwell in us. Would you laugh again over that? Would you wonder at it? This is how it's said in the children's books about the wonder of what Mary experienced here. There's a book called The Song of the Stars by, written by uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones. She's the same one who wrote the book, uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible. But she wrote this. At the very end of the book, Mary is cradling Jesus, baby Jesus in her arms, and it says this, Heaven's son is sleeping under the very stars that he made. That is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. In 1983, there was a book called The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. In that book, it follows the story of the Herdman kids, and they are the worst kids in town. They smoke and cuss and are disrespectful to adults, and they're bullies at school. I guess they vape. That would be the new thing if you were to write it today. But when they decide that there's a, a small, a, a downtown church that runs the local Christmas pageant that's kind of this public, in a public park, and they're struggling to find anybody who will actually, any kids who will be a part of it. And so the Herdman kids, out of kind of like a joke, decide, well, we'll do it. Why don't we do it? We'll be Mary, Joseph, the wise men, and the shepherds. And so they take on these roles, and the church people think, oh boy, this is the Herdman kids. This is going to go profoundly badly. But actually, what happens is just because they're ordinary, broken kids who don't really understand this story, they actually carry out the roles with incredible freshness and authenticity. They burp baby Jesus, and one of them has a wise man who brings a ham instead of a gift of frankincense and myrrh. 
just ordinary kids, and it actually turns out to be something rather lively affair, this old kind of worn out Christmas pageant. And the worst of the Herman kids, though, was her name was Imogene. Imogene is the one who smokes cigarellos in the bathroom. Imogene threatens other girls. Well, Imogene decides that she's going to be married. And in the dress rehearsal, she's carrying on like she normally carries on, which is being a complete bully and outrageous in personality. In the dress rehearsal, when the wise men, her brothers, come to give her gifts to baby Jesus, she screams at them and says, get away from my baby! And she punches one of the wise men in the face. So the runners of the pageant are going, this is going to go, this is just going to be, I mean, this is coming off the rails. Well, they get to the night of the pageant, to the end of the pageant, things have actually gone fairly well. And there's Emma Jean holding the baby Jesus, surrounded by everyone in the pageant and all the townspeople. And they're now at the, the closing number where they sing Silent Night. And the book narrator ends this way. He says this, There she was in her crooked veil, awkwardly holding the baby Jesus, when suddenly she began to cry. Crying, crying, crying. For it was like Christmas came all over, over her at, all at once, like a case of the chills. She just all of a sudden caught on to the idea of God in her arms and Jesus with her. So you've heard it from a storybook. You've heard it from a ridiculous story. If you need a profound theologian, here's how St. Augustine said it. He so loved that for our sakes, he through whom time was made was made in time. He who made man was man-made. He was given existence by a mother whom he had brought into existence. He was carried in the very hands that he had formed. If you want to know what Christians believe and what Christians experience, we believe this. We believe in an enchanted world where the creator of the universe unzipped space and time and stepped into the world so that wonder of wonders, he might be with us. Christmas is a time when things happen, things that do not always happen. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know I'm a Scrooge, that generally I um, have a terrible attitude about Christmas. I like the normal rhythms of life. I like my house to be picked up. And Lord, there's something about adulthood and taking kids various places and buying gifts that, Lord, we can all become very frozen and hard and just downright curmudgeon So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would make us like children again. That you would give us the faith of little ones. Like little kids looking into a fire or looking at the bright stars in the sky, that, Lord, you would place down upon our hearts a renewed and refreshed sense, a wonder of wonders, that the God of the universe dwells with me. So would you come and do that again, Holy Spirit? Would you fall fresh on us in that way? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.